0: Hello, it's Paul Scott here on the 21st of May, Sunday. Sorry, it's a day later than usual. As I explain, I explain the reasons in part one. I'm a little bit uh, flustered, actually, because I've run into some technical problems. I tried to publish part one on my own website, qualitysmallcapsco.uk, and when you click on the latest post, it takes you to an advert for erectile dysfunction pills. Uh some online pharmacy. So somehow my website seems to have got corrupted. Um I don't want people to think that I'm plugging uh any particular type of pharmaceutical products because I'm not. So anyway, I've had to abandon my website and just put out the podcasts through Acast, which is what publishes them to Apple Podcasts and all the other Spotify and all the other podcast platforms. So I'll try and focus uh not really much to cover this week i mean i'm with the macro news and views i call this it's just really things i've spotted in the uh press and so on um during the week and jotted down that i thought were interesting so i'm not trying to set myself up to be some sort of economics guru Although i've got a good general uh background in economics i think but certainly not an expert so just treat this as um you know uh an active investor who knows a bit about economics, but not certainly not an expert. So I, I saw on CNBC an article, article saying that American households are starting to show signs of financial distress. Apparently, credit card balances are not falling, which they normally do at this time of year, and delinquencies are rising. Um, for consumer loans so the first signs really there of higher interest rates starting to bite in the US and I think we might be setting ourselves up for something similar here you know I'm generally pretty amazed that the markets certainly for larger caps have taken these huge rapid hikes in interest rate in their stride it doesn't make sense to me because all of a sudden uh, I know I'm repeating myself every week but all of a sudden you know, you can put cash in a deposit account and earn four to five percent uh, without taking any risk with your capital. So the, the the shares I'm looking at, the small caps, where you know you get a five or a five and a half percent dividend yield, well, that was really really uh, good even just a year ago when you couldn't get anything with cash on deposit. But it's now only really slightly more. Than uh what cash earns, and this has could totally changed the whole risk reward profile of of shares I think and i don 't think that has fully sunk in with uh some investors, and I think it's a massive headwind for share prices and for uh, valuations that hasn 't come through the system yet in my view so i'm i'm I am getting more nervous about things I have to say now, I did listen to a really, really good podcast with Paul Jordan of Amati. I've met Paul, he's a great guy, very thoughtful um, investor, not the usual mould of fund managers. I think he was a professional violinist before going into fund management. So he's got quite different perspectives on things and he was interviewed by Paul Hill on uh, Vox Markets. Paul does superb um, interviews I think on Vox. Um, occasionally blurs the line between what's opinion and what is paid for by companies. So I I do think that that line needs to be uh, kept sharp and clear. Um, But uh, now anyway, Paul was from uh, Amarty was saying that he's worried that rising interest rates could cause a recession a year or two out. It doesn't seem to be hitting GDP as yet, I mean, I looked, just looked on the ONS website, and GDP is basically flatlining, 0.1% up, which is better than 0.1% down, of course. Certainly not a booming economy that needs to be slowed down with higher interest rates, I would argue. But um, what was it? Yeah, he was saying he thinks that because of the, it, it's a sort of ratchet effect of higher interest rates that they 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 start to affect people at different times and in different ways. And really, conceptually, it's strange, isn't it? All of a sudden, you're rewarding um, people with cash by paying them. They can now earn interest on their cash deposits. And you're punishing people and companies with borrowings, which, you know, is meant to bring down inflation. And I know that's the, the, the standard way of looking at it from the historical perspective, isn't it? That When inflation rises, you put up interest rates to slow down the economy. But... You know, the the inflation has not been caused by uh, a roaring economy going too fast. The economy economy is flatlining. It was caused by supply shocks and also arguably, you know, too much money being pumped into the system through QE. Uh, It's it's both factors. People always seem to polarise into people who think it's one or the other. It's not. It's both. And that's what the chairman Powell of the Fed said, a collision of too much QE with Big supply chain problems those that was the way he described it and to me to me that just makes sense but anyway Paul from Amarty uh, reckons we could have a we could have a recession one to two years down the line particularly households who are on fixed rate mortgages that gradually expire I know mine are expiring in May 2024 so I'm laughing until then and then I'm going to hit a, a bit of a brick wall which uh, I'm not looking forward to but it won't be it won't be that severe for me because my mortgages are low loan-to-value, but uh, for people who are, say, maxed out on the loan-to-value, and what if property prices start to drop a bit, and they haven't done so far, but they might do, Uh, You know they might then struggle to get to remortgage at all and end up on standard variable rate, which would be pretty uh, unpleasant. I do think there's evidence that people are remortgaging onto discounted rates rather than fixed rates. One of the property... State agent type businesses uh, confirmed that recently. So one way or another, I think I think people are going to be okay. But it will be chipping away. Uh, there's certainly going to be a, a several million households they reckon who will really start to struggle as their fixed rates expire. Uh, so that's definitely going to put a squeeze on spending, isn't it? And you know, as in the US, they're getting increased delinquency on unsecured debt. Maybe we'll start to see the same thing in the UK. I don't know. But so far, anyway. The consumer um, is behaving in a fairly resilient way, it has to be said. And as I mention every week as well, the pub companies are reporting pretty good increases in sales. Um, There were several recently who've announced that, Marston's, JD Weatherspoon's. They're not really making much profit, though. That's the problem with that sector, isn't it? But people do seem to be going back to the pubs. Another thing I thought of um, is we're, um, we're getting really unpredictable and erratic reactions to results statements and trading updates. There have been a few lately. For example, Card Factory put out what I thought were really good results, with a pretty solid outlook, and it's just been drifting, drifting, drifting. Not, not huge amounts, but I would have expected that share to be in demand with private investors. I think it's very good, Card Factory. Don't hold any myself, but I'd like to hold it. Um... But it just drifts. The results were good and it's just it went nowhere and it's now drifting away. Maybe it's just the type of people who are in it. I know it's been widely tipped. And I think a lot of people have followed um, Cockney Rebel and others into it who maybe don't have that much conviction. Maybe they're the sort of traders who just bail out when something stops going up or use stop losses. I don't know. But anyway, I'm definitely finding it erratic and unpredictable at the moment in the way that shares react to result statements and trading updates it's a very difficult market in small caps I've just had a look at all the main indices and you know at large caps FTSE 100 doing pretty well considering mid caps and okay-ish but the small caps are still pretty near um, their lows and really the whole of that 2021 uh, boom that we had in small caps has, has reversed the whole lot So very tough market. I think people are despondent, Um, you know, and it's just not a time to be investing in speculative rubbish, in my view. I, I looked at so many companies reporting and I just think this is absolute junk. You know, really, when you look at, I would say two thirds of the companies on AIM are just total junk and a lot of them need to delist. I think we need a much smaller but better quality market. I'm just repeating myself i say the same things pretty much every week don't i but these are the main main points as i see it so with my own portfolio i'm really trying to avoid speculative rubbish because there are so many good companies that i can now buy on attractive valuations 10 11 times for companies that i never thought i would see on that sort of earnings multiple again so lots of opportunities as well so when we can buy decent stuff cheap We shouldn't be wasting our time buying absolute trash, in my view. Um, Yeah, and, and, and several delistings this week, which is good. I want to see lots of rubbish, tiny microcat things disappear off the public markets because it's wasting everybody's time having to report on those things. Oh, energy costs. Again, a theme we mention every week. Now, I picked up something interesting from COT. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, the French word, you know, the little hat over the O, COT, Um, the restaurant chain. Now, they were privately owned. They reported, this is the year to September 22, 145 million revenues, EBITDA of 3.6 million. It's lucky to be making anything uh, positive, EBITDA. Of course, you take the depreciation charge off from a restaurant chain, it's probably making negligible, if any, profit real profit. Now, but this was the thing that stood out to me. They've said that a new utilities contract will save them £8 million a year from the current rate. £8 million saving for a company. that That's over double its annual EBITDA. Now, that's a game changer, isn't it? And I wonder how many other hospitality businesses have been paying a lot for their utilities and are going to see really big reductions coming through. So... That's one of the reasons I think the hospitality sector, again I've mentioned it for been mentioning it for weeks now, I think is a very interesting sector and you've already seen JD Weatherspoon shares double from the lows. I think they're fully up with events now, maybe a bit too pricey. And uh, several other, other other big pub chains have rebounded strongly. So I remain um, excited about the opportunities right at the bottom end of the hospitality sector, where some of these things have barely moved. And my second and third largest positions are XP Factory in second and Revolution Biles in third. Those are actually actually showing signs of life again. Both of those have bounced pretty well, actually, in the last few weeks. So I've got high hopes for XP Factory, which has results coming out, I think, this Tuesday. Yeah, it is this Tuesday. I've got a call booked with the CEO for 11 o'clock, I think. So... Just a private quick catch up results call. So um I won't be publishing that, but I've asked him to do another uh, this is Richard Harpham, uh, CEO of XP Factory, who I think is very good, very talented. And I'm um he's I'm hoping to do a follow up interview with him for my website. Um maybe at the end of next week or start of the following week so but it'll be interesting to see how those figures come through i'm hoping they're good because every time i mystery mystery shop the oxford street store it's absolutely rammed any time of day it's um i think that oxford street london store is going to be an absolute gold mine so uh there we go that's xp factory and the hospitality sector generally i think the big tailwind it's now got coming through could be on the energy costs which could well um offset a lot of the reluctance for consumers to spend so much um although it does seem that consumers are are you know going for nights out and going to restaurants again uh where they're getting the money from i don't know but they are and um you've also got the fact that food prices are going are starting to fall it hasn't really come through in the consumer numbers yet but wholesale food uh, commodity prices are down uh, quite a lot actually and apparently there's a, a three to nine-month lag before that comes through to to retail prices. Um, Yeah, and I think, as I mention every week, the hike in minimum wage from April of about 10% is bound to have helped uh, put money in the pockets of particularly the younger people. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think there's still life in the consumer. Okay, so overall then, really just to to sum up on the main key points, the way I see things at the moment as a sort of generalist, not a specialist, remember, on economics, um, GDP is flatlining. Second point, inflation is high, we know that, but it's fallen slightly, and according to the Bank of England, it's going to fall much faster in the second half of 2023 for various reasons that are, you know, dropping off the annualisation of the big... Rises last year, so those are sensible reasons why UK inflation should fall much quicker in the second half of 2023. Uh, We're lagging behind other countries where inflation is falling much more rapidly for various reasons uh, I haven't looked into, but anyway, America inflation is falling a lot faster than us, and I think we're lagging Europe as well. Um, interest rate rises are bound to bite aren't they as things go forward I don't think we've seen the full impact of that that yet it reminds me a bit actually of 2008 I remember having a meal in a busy restaurant in sort of early to mid 2028 uh, 2008 rather and we were all saying well you know we've supposedly got this recession coming but look around you you know the restaurant's full people are spending but it was the calm before the storm you know By the end of 2008, that recession was really biting hard after the great financial crisis and um, things were pretty, pretty depressed for two to four years afterwards. I don't know how long the the actual technical recession lasted. Not very long, I think, but it it was really flat for a long time after that. And I remember a similar thing, funnily enough, in the early 90s. You know, I left university in mid 1990 and everything felt fine. But we were reading about all these dreadful things happening, and the economy was going to slow. And sure enough, it did. And I remember when I was working doing my training accountancy course in 1990 to 93 with Price Waterhouse. You know, things got really bad. I'm sure I've mentioned this loads of times before, but they used to take on 16 new trainees a year. By 1991, they dropped it to two. And this was just one office in Southampton of PwC. So you know these things. When recessions do hit, they uh, it takes a while, and you sort of you slowly go into it, and it, before it really hits hard. So I'm I'm a bit after listening to Paul Jordan and Marty. I'm less confident that we're just going to sail through all of this. I think there's a chance the interest rate could be laying a series of time bombs for us. Other key features at the moment, actually low unemployment in the UK. I think ours is only 3.8%, which is markedly lower than all other European countries, apart from the Netherlands, which is similar to us. France is double at 7.6%. Even Germany has higher unemployment than us in the UK. And um, Spain is very high unemployment at 13%. So that 's one positive thing about us, and of course the u k is still drawing in very large number of numbers of people from overseas, especially students and what I would call genuine refugees, the particularly people from Ukraine and Hong Kong who we 've got you know we 've got a moral obligation to I think, but the quick question is where where are they going to live where 's the housing going to come from nobody 's joined up the dots have they so that is likely from our point of view as investors to mean that I would imagine property prices are likely to stay high to highish. who knows? And, of course, the demand for letting is just going to go up and up and up, isn't it? So lots of reasons there. Just on basic numbers, I'm not making a political point here. I, we don't get involved in any of that in my podcasts. But it's just numbers in and numbers of houses. Numbers in is large. we expected to double from half a million to a million net immigration next year, and that's the people we know about. Um, house building the starts are down, and there's nowhere near enough new houses being built. So it's, it's just numbers in and numbers of houses. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. So for that reason, I think house prices and lettings are probably going to uh, remain uh, probably much more buoyant than people expect because you've just got this big structural shortage of affordable housing, haven't you? <sighs> there's no quick fix to it. Anybody who says, oh, we'll just do this, that, and the other, and that's, that's the answer, you know, is talking twaddle. These are big structural long-term problems that aren't going away any time soon, in my view. Now, I want to end on a quote of the week. I'll try and do this every week or whenever somebody says something interesting. Now, this comes from my friend James, who lost... I hope he doesn't... I, no, I think I was meant to have called him uh, anonymous. Anyway, my anonymous friend, James, <laughs> who's a lovely guy. And anyway, I met him at a One Disco meeting. He lost a million quid, personally, on One Disco which is a massive kick in the teeth um, and, um, you know, a big financial loss for him. And um, He seemed to be dealing with it so well. We were, we were um, emailing each other about the situation at One Disco and I just said, look, I think you are, how are you coping with this so well? You know, uh, it, people, when they normally suffer a, a massive loss on anything, they disappear. You don't hear from them for maybe a, a year or, or even longer. Sometimes people just go off radar. I'm thinking as well of another friend who had an awful situation where a company he was a NED non-executive director in uh, uh, crashed, collapsed, and he just disappeared without trace for about three or four years. He was so depressed about it. And it was such a pity because people were on his side and we weren't blaming him. But I just don't think he could cope with it. And he just had to go away and lick his wounds for three or four years. Whereas my friend on this one who lost you know a a nasty chunk of his portfolio survivable but he lost a million quid on one disco and i'm getting just calm rational emails from him and i said how are you doing this how have you stayed sane and not choked up with bitterness on it and he said this this is the quote which i think is great he said i've mentally no i've yeah i've disconnected my mental well-being from how much money i make Isn't that brilliant? I've mentally disconnected my mental well-being from how much money I make or lose. I think that's really worth pondering for all of us. I try to do the same myself when I suffer a hefty loss or, you know, had some disastrous losses in the past. I just think to myself, you know, life goes on. Uh, Nothing's really actually changed. It's just that numbers on a screen are now smaller than they were (laughs) previously. You know, it doesn't change who you are who, what you do with your life, who you love and who's in company you enjoy and, you know, looking after the future generations and everything. All those good things about life are not particularly altered um, by suffering a nasty loss in your portfolio. And if you can disconnect your, uh, your your sense of mental well-being from what's happening on the stock market, I think that's a very, very good way to uh, live your life, so I just thought I'd pass, pass that on i 'm not preaching. I just thought it was a brilliant quote i've disconnected my mental well being from how much money I make or lose, which is great that 's how he uh, signed off so a great example there of somebody uh, handling adversity really, really well, I think, so that 's quote of the week anyway sorry it 's all a bit lightweight this week. I just didn 't have much down on my pad to to regurgitate, so i'll leave it there. Look forward to seeing you at mellow. okay, bye.